0: Welcome to the Cognito Unities Podcast. This is episode 55. And today we feature a conversation with Stephanie Stuckey, CEO of Stuckey's, that you may have stopped at on your roadside trip across America. This was an awesome conversation and was really a masterclass in what it means to be an entrepreneur, the lessons she has learned along the way, how she ended up as CEO of Stuckey's, and the advice she would give any would-be entrepreneur. We also had a great time chatting about the Great American Road Trip and swap stories and resources and books about road tripping. This is something that she is super passionate about, and we enjoy talking with her about it. So, thank you for joining us for this conversation. We think you're going to be as inspired as Miles and I were. So, without further delay, here is the conversation with Stuckey CEO Stephanie Stuckey. Enjoy, and we'll see you on the other side.
1: So Stephanie is, yeah, you know, it's uh, it's, obviously it's a pleasure to have Stephanie here on National Day. We're excited. Um, You know, one of the one of the people that we follow the most actually is her journey and and where she goes and what she does and how she's doing what she's doing, which I think is remarkable. Um, But I want to go back a little bit, Stephanie, and talk about. The time where you were, maybe this was a romantic idea. You know, you were in a career and what this could be and maybe some of your thoughts along the way and and the decision-making times when it turned into, I'm going to to do this and kind of what that was like for you.
2: Yeah. So I had a bit of a romantic idea of what would be involved with running Stuckys, but I also wasn't completely naïve. I do think the naivete that I did have was actually a superpower because Mm. if you're embarking on a risky venture, sometimes it's okay not to fully know what you're in for because you might not do it.
0: If you did, you might not do it, right.
2: Exactly, it's like parenting. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I really, really, really wanted kids when I have two kids and they're wonderful, I love them. But there are days when they were little, especially, right. I was why did, yeah. why did we want kids? Why, why did we do this? So well, there are days well, like that when you buy a business or revive your family's company where you really just think, why on earth did I do this? But then you ground yourself, you have a cup of tea, you think about what the purpose is. And I think with a family business, that decision is easier because there is a very strong emotional attachment. Yeah, right. So I absolutely want to make money. That's a key part of bringing the company back, but it's much bigger than that. And I think for the company to grow, it needs to be bigger than that. It needs to be about community building and connecting with people that share the passion that we share. And that passion is not I want to build a bunch of stuckies and sell pecan log rolls. The so passion is the road trip.
3: So, I so want to talk you about have that. to
2: stand for something bigger than just selling a product. Yeah. In my opinion, or you can you can do that. You're just going to make some money, and you'll probably hit against a, a wall at some point because people are just going to connect with your brand as long as it's a fad or the price is right or it's convenient for them to acquire it. But if you want people that for generations are going to go out of their way to buy your product and connect with it and refer it to others and get that word of mouth marketing. You got to dig a lot deeper. Mm -hmm. So
0: I want to talk about that, Stephanie. And, and, and then I also want to talk about the road trip because I think you have touched on something that I think speaks to a lot of people. They just may not realize it until they hear it. Right. And, and uh, when you think about the road trip, but you obviously grew up in the business. You grew up around it. You know, you watch your granddad do all of these things. Like at what point in that process as you were growing up, did you ever have that thought? Like maybe someday, like I wanna do it or was it, or did that come later in the process for you?
2: I actually did not grow up in the business. My grandfather sold the company a year before I was born. Okay. And it was out of our family hands, my entire growing up years. My father got the company back when I was in college. Got it. Always in my early 20s. So, and also we moved from Eastman, Georgia, which is where Stuckey's is headquartered, when I was a year old and my dad got elected to Congress. So I grew up in Washington D.C., where some people knew Stuckey's, but it wasn't like growing up in Eastman, Georgia where the whole town knew Stuckey's.
3: Sure.
2: And I am so grateful for that. I think I would have had this puffed up sense of importance had I been this big fish in the tiny pond of Dodge County, Georgia. Now, having said that, the stores bear our name. My grandfather remained engaged in the company after he sold it for about a decade. And then he was sadly ousted by the company that took over Stuckey's. Now, he sold willingly. This was not a hostile takeover. He made a lot of money. He lived a good life after he sold. but it's a cautionary tale for entrepreneurs who want to sell their company yeah. that you you do lose control and he was on the board of the company that bought it pet pet dairy corporation and he was head of the stuckies division initially but then they got a new ceo they had a change in the corporate management and he was he was pushed out so i say that not only to give that cautionary tale but also to say that initial decade, so I was young, but I do remember my grandfather being involved with the company. I remember touring the candy plant, which is just as wonderful as you might think. It truly was Charlie (laughs) and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, but, uh, wow. Best thing ever to have a grandfather who runs a candy company, who's generous with sugar. I had a lot of cavities. Uh, So (laughs) um, did I ever think this might be mine? Uh, Not until it got back in the family, which at that point I was in college. And I've shared, we talked about this before we started going live, but I share on social media some of the challenges with my father, who I love very much, but the business relationship was not good. And I do remember there were a couple points where I sort of dipped my toes and maybe I could be involved with the business. And it just, the dynamic there was not good. My dad wanted to be CEO. He was CEO. He ran things a certain way. He had business partners who ran the company as well. I got along much better with them. (laughs) They were the ones who initially sold to me, not my father. They owned half the company. I bought their shares, and it wasn't until six months after that that I bought my dad's shares many, many years later. So I thought about it, but I realized I could have a father or I could work in the business, but I couldn't have both. So Mm -hmm. I pursued a law degree, a career in law, very happy with that decision. And then, many, many years later, my dad and his business business partners sold most of their corporation to Warren Buffett, Berkshire Hathaway. Stuckeys was left somewhat adrift with just a small team running it, and without a strong corporate structure. and they had all the big the main people who had run the company for years had retired. the The company was in debt, six figures in debt when they approached me and said, "Do you want to buy it?" Mm. so i wasn't I wasn't given this company. The only thing I inherited is the name, which is very valuable. I recognize that. But I was not handed Stucky's. I bought it. Well,
3: congratulations.
1: So, so you. as, you're, as you're sitting there today and, and you've done all this in a very short amount of time, what's your what's your vision for Stucky's 2027 or 2032? Like, where, where do you see this going?
2: Yes. Yeah, so it's been two years and I have a business partner, so I could not do it by myself. And we share a vision of building the brand in a way that makes sense profitably as well as brand wise. And the way we are generating profit with this company is sadly not the stores. That was the hardest thing for me because I'm emotionally very attached to the Stuckies locations. At our peak, we had over 365 stores in 40 states, but the stores are now all out of family hands. There are no corporate owned stores there are only 68 locations still remaining only 20 of those are the classic i actually have a little model of what they look like so wow. the classic standalone yeah. blue sloped roofs that a lot of people may remember back in the day there's only 20 of those still standing and operating as the stuckies the remainder of the stores are store within a store and they're licensed. So they pay us a modest monthly licensing fee and we make our profit from those stores primarily from selling them product. Got it. So I had to completely redo the way Stucky's was operating to make us profitable. When I had that aha light bulb moment it's the pecan, stupid. And today's National Pecan Day. I know we're we'll hearing later, but that's right. It is April fourteenth, and it is National Pecan Day. So it's the pecan, stupid. That's how we were making our money: is a sale of product, which we had been outsourcing because my grandfather sold the candy plant and he sold the pecan shelling plant. So all of that was now shuttered. So my business partner and I. a pecan shelling plant and a candy plant and a fundraising business it's all one entity with sba money and that's how we have managed to go from six figures in debt to over two million profit from 2.4 million in gross sales to over 12 million in gross sales wow it's through the sale of products so pecan snacks pecan candies and then we have a distribution business that we supply the stores with the typical stuff that people associate with duckies: like right. rubber alligators and souvenir spoons and snow globes and redneck fly squatters all the necessities
0: have you yeah. and you may not be able to talk about this and it's no problem if you can't but have you thought about the idea of potentially maybe getting some more company-owned stores to use as kind of not a flagship, but but as yes. kind of maybe a model. Okay.
2: That's exactly it. Oh, and I got away from the, what's the vision? So the vision of the company is to continue to drive profit through the sale of product and expand to more national chains. So we're getting our product in retail chains and mom and pop stores as well. So we welcome all retailers that want to sell Stuckey's products. That's our short-term vision to grow that side of the business. And we are in the process of acquiring a larger production facility because we've already outgrown our current facility. We'll keep the current facility, but we're we're going to add to it.
3: Fantastic. And then
2: long-term, maybe five years down the road, depending on how quickly we grow and can get the financing together, we want to have five to 10 corporate-owned stores that would be that. flagship, that would be destination locations, that would be road trip forward. Okay. Road trip yeah. forward. We're still about the road trip. It's a great segue. Maybe we're selling log rolls, but we're telling the story of the road trip because that is our brand. So
0: yes. uh, I would love love for you to unpack what your idea of that great American road trip is. Um, Back in 2006, there was a movie that came out and I'm pretty sure I was the only one who saw it, (laughs) but it was called Elizabethtown. And uh, it, it was a story about a guy who was traveling and he drove. Um, all the way back um, to bury his dad. So it was a very emotional story, but I mean, obviously the story was about his dad and his relationship, but it was really about the road trip. It was yes. really about what he learned on the journey and what he experienced on the way and the things he saw while he was there, you know, the hotel where Martin Luther King was, you know, shot and killed and, and just all the these Lorraine. Like, iconic, yes, yes, the Lorraine. I was just there, Uh just just it was just a great it was just a really great movie highly really highly recommended again I don't think anyone saw it but me but but it was about the road trip and and every time I hear you or see you read <laughs> you post about the road trip I just like there's this thing that happens in my chest and so uh I would just love for you to kind of unpack that for us
2: yes I think it's more than obviously just the journey like you said and I've jotted that down I'm going to make a point to see that movie I love to see movies and read books about road trips. I'm reading, rereading Travels with Charlie right now by John Steinbeck, which is an amazing road trip journey. And he made that journey when he was about my age. So I'm relating to them on a lot of levels. Of course, On the Road is a classic. I actually attended a lecture last night about On the Road and all the real life places that Jack Kerouac visited. So now I have a whole new road trip itinerary to retrace Kerouac sta- steps would be, which would be so much fun. Absolutely, And the list just goes on and on just how people discover themselves on road trips. Oh, fear and loathing in Las Vegas, a bit drug induced Hunter S Thompson, gonzo journalism. <laughs> you just see all this thread throughout literature. And I think it's uniquely American that we identify with the road trip on so many levels. Yeah. It is not just getting from point A to point B. And if it is, it's not a road trip. Right. It's just
3: it's a
0: trip.
2: It's a trip. Right. 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 I mean it's just a
0: it's just, yeah, it's not, yeah, it it's, it's, it's all those other things that you mentioned. Yeah.
2: It's not a journey. It's just getting from to a destination as fast right. as you can. Right. A real road trip is discovering small-town America and the things that are unique and special about big-town America, I mean, the reason I focus on small towns is I think you're more likely to find places that are unique and you get to the big cities and they're so often dominated by the chains, but you can find these pockets that are amazing. I'll give you an example. I pulled over in Kansas City, Missouri,
3: Oh, that, oh, wait, that's wait! Where I live. No, it's
2: Kansas City, Kansas. Oh, yeah! Okay. You, know, you always have to make sure that you get you that do. distinction. You
1: do. I <laughs> you. Missouri's the best side, but that's okay. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Great state, show <laughs> me state. So there, in Kansas City, big, big city.
0: Yep.
2: There was this little diner right down the street from my hotel called Town Topic Diner.
0: I know exactly where it
3: is.
2: Yeah, it was found in 1937, same year Stuckey's. Stucky's. Yep. And I just went crazy over this diner. I took all these pictures and. I pulled up the history of it and I wrote a post and put that up on LinkedIn. It got like 10,000 engagements within a couple of hours. It's it's probably at over half a million engagements at that point. At this point, 2,500 likes, all these comments. The fascinating thing was how many people from Kansas City responded Mm. and said, I have a connection with that. Yeah. So that's what a road trip is about. It's not only connecting with yourself, it's connecting with a community. It's finding what's special and unique about these communities. And through that connection with place and understanding what's special about that place, you connect with other people. And a great example, one of the people who commented was someone I've known for about five years in Atlanta, a big developer. And he said, I grew up, in Kansas City, my dad's office was next door to Town Topic. That's a part of my life. Wow. So you make those kind of connections that you normally don't make. And I can't tell you how many times I meet people for the first time. And it's the best icebreaker. If they say they're from Memphis, I'll say, oh my gosh, Lorraine Motel is amazing. And I love seeing the Ducks and Peabody Hotel. Yep. Not in, of course, you, Graceland, but just saying things that are special about where they're from
3: yeah.
2: people light up. Absolutely. It's a part of your identity.
1: You know, well, and road trips are such a reset, you know, for, as you, as you're driving for a day or two days or however long your journey is. And you, you, you mentioned it, you get those opportunities to, <clears throat> to stop in Arizona and go, th- you know, you, you have no idea it's there and you're driving by and like, let's stop or some little cafe in Iowa that you're looking at and, I can, I can remember those memories from a decade later, you know, and it's like yeah. it's, it's you're not the hustle bustle of catching a flight and getting to where you want to be, and renting a car, and, and all those things, and that journey across America that when you get the chance to be on Route 66 is really where memories
3: are yeah. made. Mm.
2: It's your own schedule. It's your own time. Right. You're not dictated by a flight, and you don't have to stand in that awful, you know, TSA line.
0: The worst. You know, it's, I would just echo what you said, Stephanie. Uh, just one more trip back in time for me. Um, you're really kind of taking me back. But, you know, I'm from Kansas City and uh, I was gone for a while. I didn't even Austin. know that. Yes. Yeah. So this is where I was born and raised. Uh, I lived in Austin for a while, but a couple of years uh, ago, I relocated home. And uh, so we were just a few minutes ago talking on a podcast about my dad and, you know, my mom. And, and uh, you know, he passed away years and years ago when i was in high school and but i knew he was born in boonville missouri which is where he was in boonville is where he was born which is okay. east of kansas city uh what is that miles on the way to columbia right it's just not, outside of columbia yeah, yeah it's just outside of columbia so which you know actually miles is from here as well so he's actually from missouri as well um link in the ozarks, a yeah, from link from the ozarks. so wow. so wow. i thought you know what i didn't know a lot about my dad you know, because he was so much older and, you know, my mom didn't have a lot of information either. And, you know, she passed a few years ago. And so I made this decision that while I was in town for business, I didn't live here yet again, but I was going to drive to Boonville. I was going to get his, I was going to find out all I could about him. And so I made that journey. And when, you know, I'd never really spent any time in Boonville, but it's a, it's a super cool, small community, great people you know really lovely people but it was just this experience of connecting with where my Mm -hmm. dad was from uh and even though he's not around anymore he's still a part of it and and it was just a really cool experience for me so i just wanted to kind of throw that well
2: that that raises such a great point that it's not just connecting with people who are around now it's connecting with people who are, are part of your life or were part of your life who are gone
0: absolutely uh you know i learned that my granddad was a farmer um, you know, I, I learned that my grandmother, you know, she died young when she had my dad. I mean, learned all these amazing things that I just didn't know. And and so it, 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 in a sense kind of gave me a little bit of closure around that whole relationship, but then also it gave me something to actually hand down to my kids as well and say, Hey, here's some things about your great granddad and your great grandmother, you know, that you maybe didn't know. And, and, uh, so it was really cool. So I love that whole idea. I love that whole idea of the great American road trip and, and uh, all the things that you learn on that. So that's really cool. Love it. Love it. Uh, so,
1: so what advice is, is there are young entrepreneurs out there people thinking about making that leap that you have made. Um, what's maybe a couple of pieces of advice to the, maybe as you look back that you would have given yourself uh, on your initial part of the journey.
2: Yes. Um, um, my wise self, now two years into it, yes, <laughs> that means yes. five years. I'll have a lot more knowledge, I hope. <laughs> but I'm learning this right now. So it's very much top of the mind, which is always be raising money. Mm-hmm. And you need to raise money when you don't need money. That's right. Because it takes a lot of time to raise money, especially when you're starting out. Yeah. So constantly be raising money, figuring out how you're going to get capital, and really try to be grounded in what your principles are. Are you willing to take equity partners? Do you understand what that involves? Yeah. Are you willing to give up control? Mm. Do you want an angel investor? What type of angel investor? Do you want a strategic investor who's very much in your space and can give you expertise and connections and not just money? Are you going to debt finance? What terms are you looking for? How's your credit rating? Make sure you get, there are things you can do to improve your credit. So work on improving your credit. I'm not an expert on that, but guess what? you can get on youtube and google how to improve your credit <laughs> and there's advice from people who are much more knowledgeable than i am i would also say in addition to always be fundraising to trust yourself that you can do a lot of this stuff yourself without needing consultants mm-hmm. this is not to bash consultants but when you're starting out you don't have the budget often to afford consultants and a lot of consultants really cater to Fortune 500 companies. And there may be some that are mid-level companies too, but it's, and well, there are, but I found I blew a lot of money on consultants and they, they're good. This is not to bash the consultants. It's introspective that I should have figured out our budget better, that we burned through a lot of money that could have been better spent. And when we transitioned to me handling a lot of the social media, frankly, our social media did better. Because I know the brand better than anyone else. Yep. Now, it means I work a heck of a lot of long hours. Sure. So if you're not okay with working 10 plus hours and working weekends, you should not be an entrepreneur. And that's okay. Not everyone needs to be an entrepreneur. Right. right. It's amazing how many people call themselves entrepreneurs. They're really not entrepreneurs. <laughs> 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 I think they... think there's some panache to having that oh yeah
0: there's (laughs) definitely
2: vital
0: yeah that that is that is really great advice it's so true it's it's like what uh you know in the world of franchising I tell people you know obviously in the restaurant industry as we are you know I tell people all the time who want to be a franchisee of something right I'm like just because you can write a check doesn't mean you should you know,
3: it's, <laughs> exactly. it's, it's it's so true.
0: it's it's just true, right? Um, and and you know, that doesn't always you know what? I learned a long time ago that eagerness does not always equal excellence, you know, and it, so it's like it's like you just have to like know, know where your sweet spot is, and maybe it's not. Maybe it's not being an entrepreneur. Um,
2: but eagerness is a part of excellence. I that's think right. without that, and I'll add a subsidiary to that is passion
0: totally
2: agree. Is a bit more emotionally invested than yes. just being eager. So I think of a puppy being eager, but it's important to be <laughs> eager. It's important to have that passion and that's going to drive excellence, but you're hundred percent right. It's, you need more right. than that. You need expertise. So that's the third bit of advice I would have, you know, always be fundraising, realize there's a lot of work involved and you can't do it alone.
0: I love it. I love it. I got a partner. When you think about your journey as a leader, who's had the biggest impact on you? Because you've obviously had quite a leadership journey. When you look at your history, Stephanie, and all things you've done and all things you've been a part of, like, can you point to one or two people that you go, this person really had a huge impact on me as a leader?
2: Oh, I think there's dozens because through I've had many different careers. So in different phases of my life, there were people who were the right people at that time. They may not be the right people now. So when I was in politics, I had a wonderful mentor who remains a dear friend, who is a longtime state legislator. And I used to work for her. I was her staff attorney, Mary Margaret Oliver. So she was the right person at that time. I was in politics. And she helps with other because she's a lawyer too, and I practice law with her. But less so now. We're we're more friends at this point. So this point in my career, I am very blessed to have a wonderful partner. So I think of RG Lamar as my mentor, and hopefully I'm mentoring him, but we very much support one another. And then uh, there are a couple of business people who have really been incredibly generous with their time. I'll name Michael Coles, who founded the Great American Cookie Company and went on to be CEO of Caribou Coffee, and now advises companies, and he's been helping me on an informal basis. And we've been talking about maybe we want to figure out a way to make that a little more uh, structured, but amazing that there are people who give of their time and give of their expertise. And I would include my dad, even though business wise, we have had our challenges. (laughs) He really does know business and I do listen to him and I pay attention to what he says. And his biggest piece of advice is always watch your cash flow.
3: Yep.
2: Check that's what your right. cash flow is every week. Yep. I do cash think is that- king. People, I don't care what's on the balance sheet because that's a, that was a real eye opener for me, not having a background in finance. I thought finance was pretty dry. It's incredibly creative. And how you put your financial books together, that saying cook, cook the books is really true. Mm-hmm. There are ways that you can, and I'm not saying this is always, you know, there are many ways you do it that is 100% legal, and you should take advantage of every way to put the books together that presents your financial picture favorably. But having said that, it may show that you've got a net amount of money, but what's actually in the bank? What's going in? What's it going out? What's your monthly burn rate? And how much do you have to sell Mm. taking into account all of your cost? How much, what are your gross sales? You have to hit every single month. So you're servicing your debt and you're making payroll and you're paying the benefits. And you're also reserving for, oh my God, we had a packaging snafu or the equipment fell apart, which has happened to us. And all of a sudden you have to come up with the money. Or somebody uses your trademark and you've got to hire a lawyer to protect your trademark. That has happened to us quite a few times. You've got to have that money in reserve. It always takes more money than you think to run a company.
1: Yes. A piece of advice number four.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Whatever you think it's going to take to run your company, (laughs) it's going to take more. It's going to take more. (laughs) (laughs) It may even be double.
0: You know, I want to go back to something that you said just a minute ago, Stephanie, because I think it's really wise when you were talking about your dad, um, and he is a mentor, and he is a person that you listen to. Sometimes we need people around us that we don't always agree with, or, yes. or that we don't necessarily, that we don't agree with, right? So, 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 you know, but it's important to hear those voices, right? It's important to hear the other side of the argument and, and use that as we move forward. It's really important.
2: Well, I'd say there's that is true, but there's a difference between people who are going to give you different opinions and people who are toxic.
0: That I totally agree with. Nobody yeah. needs any toxic person around them. And I think that toxicity is a huge issue in this industry. Look, I used to run a company where there was a person there who uh, you know operationally, they were sound. I mean, they were they, I mean they they could yeah. they, they could deliver the results right? Whatever those results were, whatever the metrics were that we wanted to hit, they could hit those. But I believe that how you get there is as important as getting there. And yes. the toxic environment that this person created was just absolutely damaging. And, 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 you know, we had to part ways. So, so I just couldn't agree with you more on that. So the important thing about,
2: results is <laughs> I'm sorry, what would you say?
1: I said the the important thing about results are there is that they're sustainable. And, and in a toxic environment, you can get there, you can peak, but the, you know, it's they say it's easy to get there, it's hard to stay there. And so I think that's why today we we talk so much about culture and leadership and people. And that's yeah. in the people business. But we may sell wings or log rolls or or you know whatever. Yeah, we in the people business, and so that's why you know that's why Bobby and I originally. You know came together on this and wanted to to further is because we wanted to get that message of culture and leadership out there and a positive mindset we've had a mindset coach on you know talking about positivity and, and that's that's what you're going for is those sustained results and in your legacy and you you do that I th- we think wonderfully which is why we just couldn't wait to talk to you
2: well thank you but i have Challenges, we have challenges. And I would say the number one challenge with culture, and we're figuring it out. I had a long discussion this week, in fact, with our HR manager. That's the one big hire we did, we made, which was a stretch for us budget wise, but we had to do it. We had to get an HR manager and someone to really pay attention to our hires and making sure the employees stay happy. But that culture piece is really hard. You can get this in the restaurant business as well with these frontline workers that are making maybe a little above minimum wage. We try to pay above minimum wage. But these are not glamorous, sexy, intellectually stimulating jobs. Working on the candy line is not brain surgery, right? It's very monotonous, repetitive. You're working in a factory. Yeah. So, getting that sense of culture, belonging and special and part of this big vision.
3: Right.
2: But I'm grinding out pecans. <laughs> right. Yeah. But
3: I, I and I up.
2: I worked those jobs. When we bought the plant, I would get on the line and put my hairnet on and have my rubber gloves and line up the pecans as they went under the robing machine and after about 5 minutes I'm like Woo, logged out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> What's next?
2: This is hard.
0: <laughs> I love that you're figuring it out though, Stephanie. And I love that you're investing in the culture, you know, by by having someone who's kind of the gatekeeper for that, because you do need that, right? Every organization needs that person to help make sure things stay on the rails. But even more importantly, what you just mentioned is so important, which is how do you, how do you cascade that culture down to the line employees, right? To the people working in the factory. Yeah you know, that, that, that is critical because in fact, one of the things that we kind of talk about on the podcast is how do you connect your vision to the culture, to the entire organization, right? Um, Because it's a big challenge for all of us, right? And, and to, you know, continue to try to find unique and fun ways to do that, to make people feel like they are connected and they're not just working in the factory or on the line or on the register, you know, in what we do. So,
2: well, I'm open to whatever y'all have learned. I can tell you I am figuring this out now and we have not made strides that I think are worth reporting. What we, Because we're in transition, because we're in the process of trying to pull together a lot of money for us sure. to acquire this new facility, we've been laser focused on that. And we're frankly gonna have a lot of uh, shifts in our employee pool because we, we have to have new folks at the candy plant that we're acquiring as well so we're not as focused on that component yet but i have this is one case where we may hire an outside consultant i have met with a consultant who specializes in culture and frontline workers in factories nice in the food space he is nice. uniquely in our space he found me and we had coffee for two hours last week and i thought wow i we need to we need to have you help us but let's wait till we acquire the candy plant, right. the new facility, expand the candy plant.
3: yeah.
2: And we're bringing on new people. Let's do it then when it makes more sense and we'll have a, a more robust pool of workers. So to be continued, if you have any advice on how to, and if any of the listeners want to reach out to me, how do you instill culture? It's easier if it's these management teams where you're making six figures and you do retreats to Cancun and you can all walk on coals together or whatever, that's kind of outdated, but you know, you can have these team building fun things in some wonderful place. We're not doing that at the candy plant. We don't have the money for that.
0: Well, (laughs) what we would offer up to you, and I'll just share a little bit of a personal story. Like, you know, it's hard for people to imagine now, because you look at, uh, Chipotle 3000 locations all over the world, international brand, huge advertising budget, all those things, right? There was a time here in Kansas city. I spent a decade with Chipotle. So I joined with less than 200 locations, pre IPO, not a lot of money. People look at Chipotle and think, Oh, they have all the money in the world. They do today. They did not back in 2002. And, uh, So I remember the grassroots marketing. I remember taking free burritos out after lunch to try to get people to order from us, you know, to do catering with us, right? All those things. But from a culture standpoint, back in 2007, we realized that that we had a problem. And our problem was that eight times out of 10 that we would go outside the organization to hire managers, they would fail and and it took us a little bit of time of us continuing to beat our head against the wall to realize that the reason that was happening was they didn't understand our culture they didn't understand the ethos of our dna they didn't really get it right they were really talented right they had experience i'm using my air quotes for those of you on the podcast you can't see that but uh it it just wasn't enough and then we realized we had all these talented people inside of our restaurants and i'll make this really short but you know we basically we came up with a way where we could one of the ways we could help them connect to what we were doing as an organization, right. Which you think about the vision for Chipotle was to change the way the world thought about and ate fast food. That was their vision. Right. And you can argue that they did that. Right. So, so, you know, how do you do that? So we realized that we had people inside of our restaurants that, 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 that really did deserve an opportunity, right. We could create opportunities for them that otherwise wouldn't exist. Now, in the context of what you're doing at Stucky's, That may not translate 100%, but getting people to realize, like, I knew, you know, this is what I would tell my team. I know that every person we hire is not going to be a GM. I do know that. I do understand that. But I want them to understand they can be. I want them to understand that if they want that, we can help create a path for them to help them be able to get there. So I don't know what that looks like in a factory. Maybe it's, you know.
2: Yeah. Hundred
0: percent, right. So, so, so that really helped us, and it was a journey. It was a, it it was a ten-year journey of getting this going. But once we did, you know, I spoke in Vegas at one of our all-manager events, and I remember standing in front of two thousand people saying, "We could not stop this if we wanted to, right? Because it takes on a life of its own, and that all plays into
3: culture." So,
2: that's terrific. Yeah, that's very inspiring. So, we are doing some steps to let the frontline workers know you have opportunity for advancement if you want love that and we've created teams on the different lines and are encouraging the workers to s- advance their skills right. where they learn how to work a different line so you roasting. can learn work the roasting room you can learn how to work the divinity room you can learn the enrober machine you can learn the extruder, you can learn the flow wrapper, you can be in packaging and shipping. And so you work these different teams and every worker who gets expertise in the in a new team, we give them a salary bump. Mm. So they know they have that opportunity. Love and it. if we see someone with a lot of potential, then they can be a supervisor. So we did have one person who started as a line worker, who's already been promoted to more of a managerial level, a supervisory role. And so hopefully that's showing the others that you could you could advance too if you want. That's and fantastic. then we're, we're partnering with a local technical school to teach some skills. So forklift operator, I actually wanna get that certification because I tried to work a forklift the other day and it was really scary and I should not be put <laughs> at a forklift, even if I happen to own it. So you can take that certification. And then if you get this certification, there's another opportunity to have a pay increase. So that's for working on that. Uh, Boy, would love to train up some people to get machinist skills. That's the skill of the future. And then honestly, transitioning away from having so heavy a frontline workforce and displace those employees with machinery, That can produce the machinery we're about to buy will go from making five pecan laurels a minute to hundred wow Wow. our gross our gross profit will go from 35 percent to over 60 percent wow the purchase of this machine so it'll pay for itself i i don't remember the numbers but the return on investment is solid with that and it will displace three to five workers I don't feel bad about that because one, they're workers that we haven't even hired yet because it would go, it's going to go in our new plant. And sure. two, these aren't the most exciting jobs. <laughs> so.
0: Right, right, right. And, and, you know, as you attack this, as we all do every day with culture and how do you connect it when you do have those experiences and you do have those people who are able to advance and move into the managerial roles, you, yeah. know, you should celebrate that internally, right. Tell that story right internally. Yeah. Cause it's, because it all becomes a part of who you are, but it sounds like you're doing some great things. So that's awesome.
2: But it's a journey.
0: It is. It absolutely is. It absolutely so is.
1: Stephanie, uh, let me tell you a quick story and I've told it on here before. So our listeners will have to forgive me. I was, I was working at Walmart in Columbia, Missouri, and um, I was still in school and I was in the, the manager training program and I was setting an, uh, an aisle of candies Valentine's aisle. and If you've ever set aisles of candy in Walmart you know it's talk about frontline job and talk about you know it was one of those days and I've
2: stocked candy shelves just not at Walmart hopefully someday (laughs) we'll be in Walmart and I can help
1: yeah I'll I'll come by and stock the shelf for you you know I'll set your module
2: I've done that in many a store I have stocked candy
1: yeah and so (laughs) It was well you know i'm a couple of hours into this project and feeling like you know i'm my talents are being wasted here setting candy <laughs> blah 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 you know <laughs>
3: i'm better and than this
1: feeling yeah feeling sorry for myself and <laughs> and i hear my GM. he was his, his shoes were very unmistakable and i hear him walking and he walked past my aisle he stopped he came back he grabbed a box he stocked a box with me talked to me how's your day going you know what's going on he's just checking in on you and he was gone but even to this day 30 you know 25 years later like that moment in time impacted me so much that i'm, I'm telling the story for the second time on our, on our podcast at least but i love it culture is set by the leader right and mm-hmm. so it was important to him to just check in so i think about your frontline workers and and your factory workers and and then i envision you right so i envision you in there and just checking on them hey how's it going i'm going to stand side by side with you for a little uh-huh. bit doesn't cost you anything other than your time, but the, the impact that you make on that person or those people. and the drive and motivation that, that kick starts in them is you know immeasurable and I think those are the little things that are free. That make an impact in culture when they when they see the person that's out there on on linkedin doing all these great things right next to them asking them about their day, that's why they become loyal Stucky's employees.
2: That's a great story. I would add our situation is has another layer of complexity because we bought an existing company. And that's something that many CEOs face if you're brought in mm-hmm. to run a company yep. or if you buy a company, in either case, you are coming in to a corporate environment where there's already staff hired. Very it's true. not the team you've brought on and yeah. they are used to doing things a certain way. And so you have to not only figure out what's your culture, what the, what's the company culture, but how do I instill that in these people who've been around yeah. for a while? I yeah. didn't bring them on. So yeah. figuring it all out yes, as ma'am. I go,
3: yes,
2: building ma'am. the plane as I fly it.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and, that, and that's again, that's why we that's why Bobby and I do this is for people that are figuring out because we're figuring out the exact same things. And for us, it's we say it's cathartic because we get down here and get to talk to each other and someone like yourself every week and talk about all the struggles yep. that we're all having. And so
2: you're not alone. <laughs> we're not alone. That's right. I think that is important to, to voice that because otherwise you just can be crippled with thinking how hard it is yeah. and it is hard, but it you is. are, you, there is a community out there. Yeah. Well the, it's been so encouraging yeah. to hear, to know that and connect with people. And LinkedIn has been a great way to do that.
1: It's a, it's absolutely, you're not alone. And you, it's very easy to sit there on a, on a Wednesday morning and, and look at everything that's happening and say, Why is it so easy for everyone else, but I struggle so much and it's not easy for everyone else. We all have similar struggles. And that's why I think it's important for us to be transparent with that and listen to how people overcome those those moments when they're struggling the most. What do you do? Who do you talk to? Do you read a book? Do you have a mentor? Like what what's out there? And uh,
2: yeah, reading is important, too. I've read a lot of founder stories or stories about founders. I loved the story of Ray Kroc, the, well, he didn't found McDonald's, the McDonald's brothers did, but he bought it and really grew it to what it is. That's called Grinding It Out, was made into the movie The Founder. That's a good one. Phil Knight, the founder of Nike. Shoe Dog Dog, is an excellent book. Uh, Losing My Virginity, one and two, or Finding My My Virginity, and then what was the, I've read both of Richard Branson's books. He wrote one kind of early in his career, so he had to write a, another one. Uh, the Everything Store, the story of Amazon, uh, This Will Never Work, the story of Netflix. Mm. And the underlying factor in all of these is they all started out small. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They all struggled. That's Phil right. Knight almost was at the verge, literally like was going to go bankrupt when he got the money he needed. He had all sorts of problems getting his shoes made in Japan and with competitors and just a total jerk manufacturing for him in Japan. I mean, just challenge after challenge and lawsuits and Jeff Bezos started out in his garage and to this day, they have those desks at Amazon that are the door desk because they didn't have money to buy desks. So. I remind myself when I'm really scrapping for money and my business partner and I are trying to figure out how we're going to get this capital stack so we can buy this company or this production facility that we that we really need to expand that Jeff Bezos struggled too yeah Elon Musk struggled
3: that's right
2: Elon Musk lived in the y m c a in Canada for a while
3: <clears throat> in twenty
1: <throat> years people will say yeah. Stephanie Stuckey struggled at one point, but you'd never know it today
2: yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I like to say we're ramen noodle profitable. I haven't bought new clothes in two years. It's okay, I'm all right with that. But I'm not I'm not living this glamorous life. I mean, I love what I do and I'm dedicated to it. But it just cracks me up. I'll get these emails sometimes from people who run corporate jet programs. I'm like I fly economy and I <laughs> drive my little hybrid that i got on craigslist for six thousand dollars <laughs> you think i can afford a corporate jet for pete's you know, sake i know it's a mass email that they just send out of but course
0: and i am not on a a corporate jet. right and i'm sure your name is on a bunch of mailing lists and you're getting all these emails all the time about these crazy
2: Hilarious.
3: Things.
2: yeah you know, oh do you want jet. to sponsor a nascar
3: <laughs> <laughs> are
2: you kidding i want you to sponsor me you <laughs> know, you want to be, yeah. i need exactly. money I'm it not NASCAR. I'm sure. Yeah. I've well, got that I'll sitting t- around.
0: <laughs> you know what? I will tell you this. I will tell you all those books that you just mentioned, which are all great books. Um, just think about your journey. Think about the story that this is going to make. Right. And that's why oh, I'm writing
2: a story. book. I'm Good forcing for myself to do so, that. Yeah. Awesome. I've got yeah. two just, publishers interested. I have an editor. Yeah. I've just got to write it.
0: That's ben. amazing. Because it's going to be a great story. And that's the thing. I have
2: joined a writer's group.
0: Nice. Very good. good. We're called
2: Write Damn It. And we get together once a week and you sit at a cafe and you force yourself to write. And then the first 15 minutes is you're sharing like updates. So keeps me in check and shames me if I show up and I have not (laughs) been writing.
0: And, And I know we're going a little long and I apologize, Stephanie. Thank you so much for being so gracious with your time. Um, I'm going to send you uh, a link to a podcast. Have you listened to Guy Raz? uh, Oh, yes.
2: Religiously, How How I I Built Built This. This.
0: Have you listened to one for Chipotle? I mean, have you listened to one for Chipotle with Steve? No, I have
2: listened to one of my favorites and it's on my mind because they're based in Atlanta is Ben Chestnut with MailChimp. That was a really good one. And the Tofurky guy, I really love that one. Steve Bells did an interview ones. with
0: Guy. I will send you the link. Steve, yeah, I'll listen
2: to the Chipotle. Uh, it,
0: it, here's the thing. It was the first time I'd ever hear heard him talk about this publicly. Uh, and again, it's that whole thing, you know, smoke and mirrors. Look at Chipotle, all these restaurants, lots of success, great, 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 great stock price, super high, all that stuff. Um, you know, he got on this podcast and he just laid it out for Guy. He was like, "Look." this is really hard. This is really really hard. This this was really difficult. We were no, it was the first time I'd ever heard him tell the story. Right. It was like, it was like, but he just laid it out there. It's like, look, this was not an overnight success. This did not happen. Like you see it online or see it in the media or see it on the internet. (laughs) It's not how it happened. Um, but it's a great one, especially for where you are in the journey with Stockies. Uh, it, it's like you know, an
2: overnight, like if we, when we make it really big, that's right. uh, I can say we're an overnight success that's been in progress uh, for 80 years. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, And he was a phenomenal, my grandfather was a phenomenal success, but I think any brand right. that has sticking power has had these resilience moments where things just were going in the gutter. Absolutely. Even Absolutely. Coca-Cola. Oh, that's another. I mean, there's a lot of books on Coke, and I've read a couple. But you think about when they came out with the new Coke. New Coke. New Coke. Everybody
1: knows New Coke. (laughs) What?
2: So (laughs) good. For being a teenager and looking at that New Coke and say that is the dumbest idea.
3: (laughs) So I. I You will not see
2: a new pecan log roll. That is not happening. learn their lesson. One of my favorite, I know we got to go, but one of my favorite no, podcasts that you talked about, Guy Raz, is Spectacular Failures. Oh. My brother turned me on to that. My brother, the artist, is like, this is the business podcast for you. It's amazing. And wow. it's all about companies that failed.
0: I'm going to check that out.
2: You can learn so much from companies yeah. that failed. I just listened on Audible to Billion Dollar Loser about the WeWork story.
0: Oh, wow. Okay.
2: And that's a great idea, but had a founder that got out of hand.
0: Right, right.
2: But the, it the business itself is a, a wonderful model and is, yeah. it is now moving forward. The company's moving forward. But that learning from these failures, and they're not all like, the cool thing about that podcast is some of these brands are now successful. It's talking about the moments of failure and what they learn from them. And so I try to listen to those. So hopefully I don't make those mistakes.
0: So powerful. So powerful. Um, Well, my last question, this is one we ask of almost every guest, but I'm a little afraid to ask you because you travel around and you see all these iconic restaurants. We normally ask for your hometown restaurant. What's your favorite go-to order? So I'll leave you open to answer that, but like what's your go-to order at your I don't want to say your all-time favorite restaurant, but just your hometown restaurant. Like, what's your like? What's your order?
2: Well, I'm trying to figure out what my hometown is. I'm originally <laughs> from Eastman, but we left Eastman when I was a year old. Then we grew okay. up in Washington D.C., that's and then I moved point. to Athens, Georgia, and Atlanta for some time. You know, it's uh, I love uh, classic Southern because that's where I'm from. Sure. Uh, so. Probably would say Merrimax, which is just an Atlanta institution, just your okay. classic meat and three, been around nice. forever. And I'm out. a vegetarian, but you can get a great veggie plate. And I, I joke that I'm a Southern vegetarian because I would starve if I didn't eat black eyed peas that were stewed in ham hock. Of so <laughs> I won't eat the ham hock, but if it's been brewed in ham hock, I'll eat it because I, I have to enjoy life. <laughs> so, so I'll say Mary Max on Ponce de Leon in Midtown Atlanta. If you yep. have never been, it is truly an Atlanta institution. And you look on the walls, and everyone from presidents to the Dalai Lama.
3: Wow. Have that eaten is.
2: there. Wow. I love, I wish I'd been there when the Dalai Lama showed that, up. That would have been so cool.
0: That would have been fantastic. Everyone that,
2: passes through Mary Max.
0: What a Zen moment that would have been. That
2: yes. <laughs> zen and biscuits.
1: Exactly. <laughs> New concept.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Miles, why don't you close us out?
1: Well, you know, it's been a pleasure, um, Stephanie. Again, thank you for coming on and, and spending, you know, an hour with us now. Um, we've We've really enjoyed it um my last question for you is just vacation spots where's your where's your go-to vacation
2: i love route 66 Ooh, all
3: right. and what
2: i love about route 66 is the entire road is the journey it's that's the place the road is the place the road is designated as a historic site and by the way, the Centennial is coming up for Route 66, 2026. So that will be a big year. Go yeah. ahead and start making your plans now. I, in <laughs> fact, I need to start making reservations because all of the iconic motels oh. along Route 66 that are actually decent, some of them Absolutely. have seen some years, Yeah, I bet they'll start booking up. Absolutely. There's, there's going to be a lot around the Mother Road. Wow. In a few years
1: rinse your tp now at the wigwam right (laughs)
2: yes there are three wigwam motels still in operation cave city kentucky not on route 66 holbrook arizona and there's one out oh gosh california
3: okay
0: so so i
1: I should
2: know where that last one is oh i think it's barstow i'm almost certain it's barstow
0: barstow's not far from me so so you're such a traveler. I just have to make one more recommendation to you for travel books uh, from an Please unlikely source. From an unvery unlikely source. So, my favorite band is Rush, and um, their yeah. drummer Neil Peart uh, was also an author, and uh, he wrote some incredible travel books about all of the journeys he took on his motorcycle on the concert tours that he did. He wrote four books. Uh, let's see. Uh, far and near, far and away, uh, far and wide, and then one called Roadshow. And oh,
2: I got to check that out. And you fast, know, it's interesting. You think about groups of people that that love to road trip. I mean, yes. you've got people like truckers. Yes. You've got family vacationers, but too often people don't think of bands, music, musicians, yes. or baseball players that yes. are the minor league, yes. not the ones that can afford a jet. Yeah, Absolutely. Right. Those people are all on the road. And there's such great road music and road oh. trip songs because of that. And so, okay. yeah, did you we, see the Rush documentary?
0: Yes, I loved yeah. it. I, yeah. I was. Yeah, I have passion- not seen
2: it. It's on my playlist, it's on my watch list. You have so to I gotta, watch it.
0: It is absolutely it. Un, it yeah. is un, unbelievable. So, Beyond the Lighted Stage is the one you should watch first. That was the one that came out in 2010. So, so it's called Beyond the Lighted Stage.
2: On the lighted stage, and he's a motorcyclist that's interesting.
0: Yeah, he was a motorcyclist. Uh, you know, he actually passed away a couple of years ago. Um, mm. but just an amazing, just amazing author. I listened to him on Audible now. He's not reading it, but I imagine him reading it because I'm an Audible guy and I love Audible books. Yeah, I
2: love Audible, uh, and, Audible. and
0: so it's great. Uh, I'll, check the it author, I'll check it out. i read almost all of them. Um, but and I'm into.
2: Uh, Memoirs right now since I'm writing a memoir, so I'm trying to read there memoirs. There you go. So that's why go. I love travels with Charlie. That's a great one for sure. me to read right now. Uh, I, and I will. Gosh, we keep coming up with new things, there <laughs> But the, you, you talked about the motorcycle and how Neil Perry was a motorcyclist. Right. Motorcyclists are great road trippers, and they appreciate a motel because they mm-hmm. want to pull up right by their room or a motor court so they can keep an eye on their he talks expensive. about this harley Davidson or whatever thing. yeah he
0: talks about that very thing um it's yeah you're gonna love those books you're gonna absolutely love them yeah so, so
2: motorcyclists know all the great towns yep. it's much more interesting for them to drive through the the state routes and the back roads and yep. go through these small towns so they know all the cool places and so yep. some absolutely. of the best guidebooks that i've discovered our motorcyclist guidebooks. They know the motels that are halfway decent and not some of them, some of those motel, motels you do yeah. not want to be in.
3: Absolutely. But Absolutely. the
2: motorcyclist, that's a great resource.
0: Yes, totally. This has been a great conversation, Stephanie. It has. I, I, I you know, I've really enjoyed it. I know Miles has too. We really appreciate you. So uh, well, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, I'm congratulations delighted. Yeah. On all your success. Well,
2: we got a long way to go. If anyone listening wants to help help us raise 6.5 million, uh just contact me. You know I'm what? I was just gonna ask
0: you if you want people to reach out to connect with you, how should they do it? Well, they can definitely find you on LinkedIn.
3: So yes. yes.
2: LinkedIn's probably the best. Uh, because this is a business-oriented podcast. Sure. I would just say no upfront, I cannot connect with you and it's nothing personal. LinkedIn taps you out, maxes you out, and you once you get to a certain level of connections, they will not allow you to make any more connections. So Got my it. apologies, but you can follow me. And if you message me, I do my absolute best to return your message. And my email is in my profile section. Yes. And if you email me, I will get that. Perfect. Best way Perfect. to reach me. But awesome. I'm also on TikTok and Facebook and all, all Twitter, the Instagram. Working on YouTube. YouTube's sad right now. I think I've got two followers, but I do have.
0: I know I Miles and I are working on videos. ours too, and it's pretty sad. So don't go there. Yeah, uh, yeah it's you know, not. There's good. only so many hours in the day. That's you know?
1: right. That's
2: right. Yeah, That's right. But video is important. It's, it is. it's a sure. way to regain traction on Instagram, the way those algorithms work. So I am trying to get more comfortable with that format.
0: Well, I think we'll have to have you back for a future episode. I think there's have much- me back
2: in a year and see how we're doing. Absolutely. When we, when we have our new facility. I like it. I like it. Yeah. You're
1: already you're already on the calendar then. <laughs> that's awesome. right. That's yes. right.
0: <laughs> Stephanie, thank you so much.
2: Thank you. Y'all have a terrific day and look forward to hearing the, the podcast.
0: Yes, ma'am. We'll thank get you. it uploaded. We'll get everything edited tonight and uh, we'll get it uploaded tomorrow. So
2: wow, that's quick.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Just let that.
2: me know how I can help. I'll send it out to my networks.
1: Awesome. Thanks for for everything. And, and, you know, we wish you continued success.
2: Thank you. It's National Pecan Month.
3: Okay. So it's a whole
2: month. And then there's actually two pecan days. There's one in April and then there's one in the fall. I honestly don't understand why we have one in April because we're not, the nut is in season in the fall.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. It's
2: harvested usually like September, October, a little bit November, but
1: okay, it's just gotcha. not the season. Gotcha. Well, it's, it's awesome to have you on National Pecan Day. I mean, I'd like to send you yeah. that way, but uh, you know, we're not we're not that forward thinking. Uh, <laughs>
2: <laughs> but let's pretend that you were. That's yes, right. let's right. soak it in. Yeah. Well, let's
1: use it for all it's worth.
0: so much for joining us today on the the unused podcast and this incredibly inspiring conversation with stuckey ceo stephanie stuckey we hope you enjoyed that as much as we did and would encourage you on your great american road trip to stop at a stuckey's that you see off the highway and go in and uh enjoy it. Uh, It'll be a great experience for you. I promise. Had my first experience at Stucky's in Marietta, Georgia just last month and really enjoyed it as I shared in a couple of different posts on social media. My dad would have loved it. So thank you again for joining us today. And if you find this content inspirational, helpful, please share it on your networks and share with your friends and uh, continue to spread the word about the cutting onions podcast. We would greatly appreciate it. And we look forward to seeing you again next week for another great episode with another amazing entrepreneur.
3: Thanks so much and have a great week.